Okay, let's get started. Welcome to Linda's Life Lessons Podcast. As a teaching professor, my students often tell me that their favorite part of class was when I chatted with them in what they called Linda's Life Lessons. I would take five or ten minutes at some point in class, not every day, and chat about things that had come up, maybe in one-on-one meetings with students in my office or a question asked in class. There's pretty much nothing out of bounds. We talk about it. Sometimes students respond right away. Other times, they would reach out to me privately. Some of them are still in touch years later, referring to how something we talked about has stayed with them. I was unaware of how the students referred to the chats until a previous student stopped into my office. He, talking about you, Robert, surprised me by telling me how much he missed me and my chats now that he was finished with my class. I was shocked because he never said a word to me, not until this moment. He was like, well, I learned a ton about finance in your class, but Linda's life lessons were the best. The name stuck. In these podcasts, I share tips for students and parents, helpful guidance through the college years, and a few stories along the way. We chat about situations students have found themselves in and how we navigated it. Along the way, we talk about some do's and don'ts for parents, too. In this episode, we're chatting about the registration process after freshman year. Okay, let's get started. Class registration time is often really frustrating for students. They get a curriculum plan from their school, they figure out a plan for themselves, and kind of schedule things out for the four years they're going to be in school. Registration for freshman year usually goes okay, but after that, things can get, well, interesting. Today, let's talk about why things can get so interesting, so challenging for students when they're trying to get into classes. Colleges and universities do the best they can to look at current enrollment numbers and then get a sense of how many students will need the different classes. I teach in the College of Business Administration. The administration looks at the number of students in the college and does their best to predict which classes need to be scheduled and how many sections of each class need to be offered. Budgets are tight. At our school, tuition has been frozen for a number of years and the operating budgets have been cut. In short, we, like many schools, are trying to do more with fewer resources. This means there isn't a pot of money sitting around to hire more instructors to teach additional sections of classes if we need them. So here's what happens. Let's use an example. Sally, who is a junior. She's taken some of her required business core courses and is eager to get going on the courses for her particular major. Most of our students start taking classes specific to their major during their junior year. They usually still have a few core courses to complete, but they are also trying to get into other classes required for their major. Sally still has two business core courses to take, but she's eager to start taking the courses for her major. Registration is scheduled by the number of credits, meaning if you already have earned 100 credits, you will be scheduled to register before the student who has maybe 85 credits. So going with our example of Sally, as a junior, she probably has 75 or so credits. We're assuming it takes 120 credits to graduate. So when Sally registers, all of the seniors and some of the juniors have already completed their registration. 
She has a plan for the courses she intends to roll in, and... uh, Sally can only get a seat in three of the five courses she planned for. What now? This is when the fun begins. It's super frustrating for students, and let me tell you, it's no fun for the professors either. It's probably not fun for the administration, although I've never asked them. I know they feel it because they get pressure from students, parents, and even faculty about this, so I'm pretty sure this is a time of year when they would prefer to be on vacation. Years ago, before all of this registration stuff was done electronically, I used to have students follow me around. One guy even followed me into the restroom, true story, begging for an override into my class. And I wasn't the only one this happened to. So we pretty much love that it's done electronically because we don't have students following us around anymore. So back to Sally. Sally's kind of lucky because she's able to get on the wait list for the two classes she wants to take next semester, mindful of the fact that she's registered already in three She's still trying to get into two of them. Sometimes the wait lists are full, so a student is generally pretty happy if they can at least get on a wait list. So now Sally waits. And she waits. And waits. She waits a number of weeks, often until the last weeks of the semester, at which point she's feeling super stressed and panicky. Why the wait? Do we love torturing these kids? Well, sometimes we might honestly be tempted. You know, we're human after all. And as much as we love our students, they've been known to get on our very last nerve. Nope, it's not about torturing them with lessons in the virtues of patience. We need all of the other students who are juniors who are coming into these classes to complete the registration process. Sally isn't the only student who doesn't get into the desired classes, because guess what? We've got a sort of bubble coming through the College of Business Administration. Our majors have increased at an unanticipated rate. Maybe they've switched. They came to the school intending to be a science major, and all at once they decided, no, science isn't for me, I'm going to be business. It happens. More than we ever realized sometimes. So we're not sure if the growth we're seeing right now is a long-term growth or just a blip, but we have to figure out how to manage this unanticipated demand to get students into the classes they need. So now what? The wait lists are examined for duplicates, because sometimes students will get on the list for more than one section. Each individual student situation is checked. Who must have the class if they're going to graduate on time? How many students truly need the class now, this semester? If there is a large enough number of students who need the course, say 25 or 30, the deans in the administration work to find additional funds to pay someone to teach an additional section. If there are fewer students who need the course right now, say 10 or 12, pressure is then put on professors to give additional seats in the class. In some cases, That isn't physically possible because there are no more open seats in the classroom. If a capacity is 30 and you've got 30 students in the class, you can't let anybody else in. In other cases, there might be space in the classroom, but in the case of a very labor-intensive class, maybe a writing class, it places a heavy additional burden on the instructor, making them reluctant to add more students to their classes. 
So back to Sally's situation. She is trying to get enrolled into two more classes so she could be in a total of 15 credits for the semester. There aren't enough students who need the same classes she's trying to get into for there to be additional sections added. So what happens next? Here's something to be mindful of. Courses are planned for and set at a specific number of students. These plans are based on ideal class size for a given subject as well as classroom capacity. Typically, a writing-intensive class will have fewer students because of the heavy grading burden associated with assessing written work. So now, Sally's trying to get a seat in a course that is already at capacity. Is she screwed? The answer? It depends. Sometimes an administrator will just decide that each section of the class must take an additional two or three students. Let's say in Sally's example that there are three sections of the class being offered, which are currently full with 30 students in each section, but there are five additional seats in the in the classroom. Now the administration says, open three more seats in each section. That means nine students will get spots in that class. In truth, professors can get a little grumpy about these changes because they're now going to be working overtime. There's no additional compensation for taking additional students. In these cases, the decision is out of the instructor's hands. The spots in their classes, those seats, are just opened up. In other situations, instructors are approached and asked if they will agree to take additional students. Sometimes administration asks, sometimes individual students ask. Some professors will take additional students, some won't. That sounds harsh, but many of these same instructors have been working for a number of years, lots of years, without a meaningful pay raise to the extent that one way to control the amount of work they have is to not take additional students beyond the original capacity. This is a time of tough decisions for everyone. Sometimes department chairs and college deans take a hard stance. They're not going to add any additional seats. No additional seats are available. There aren't funds to add sections, and we're not able to add seats to the classes. This sounds awful and really hard on students trying to get seats, but they're doing this because there's a bigger reason. If the college is pushing for additional funds in the operating budget so they can hire more teachers, sometimes a line has to be drawn. Otherwise, the budget makers feel there really isn't a need. The faculty can just keep absorbing additional students into their classes. And think about it, is that ideal for anyone? Course capacity is set with an eye for reasonable workloads and serving the students one-on-one, being able to make appropriate amounts of time for the students in the class. Is anyone well-served when the instructor is overloaded and overworked? Additional students would potentially affect the level of individual attention, the speed of the grading, and the overall dynamics of the class. So Sally, she's still with us. We didn't forget about her. She ends up getting an override, that's permission to take a class that was full, into one of the classes she needs. So she's at 12 credits, but it's a no-go for the other one. She can't get into the other one. There's just not space. Somebody's not willing to give her an override. Whatever the reason, now she can't get into that class. What happens now? 
Is she just stuck taking 12 credits for the semester instead of her preferred 15? This is a time where it's really important for Sally to connect with her academic advisor. She should meet with her advisor to come up with alternative classes. Maybe she chooses a minor and then takes a class that meets a requirement for her minor. Some majors require so many credits, there isn't necessarily room for a minor if a student wants to get out in four years. Believe it or not, not all of the students are concerned about graduating in four years. We can chat about that one another time. Sally, she wants to get out into the world as soon as she can, so now what? She needs 120 credits to graduate, and she needs to meet all of the requirements for her major. If I'm her academic advisor, and I do a lot of advising, I'm finding courses to help her with her chosen career path. So I look at the courses she's already taken. Let's say she took Psychology 100 in her freshman year, and she did pretty well in the class. I might suggest a higher-level psych course that would enhance her understanding of human behavior, why people do what they do. That's something that would potentially help anyone in business. So Sally's taking a class that will move her forward on her path to a timely graduation that will also help her in business. Often faculty brace themselves when registration for a new semester gets underway. It always feels tense while we see how the courses are going to fill. It is not fun getting contacted by students who need to get into required classes. It is really not fun trying to figure out alternative paths for students when the most direct route appears to be blocked. Ugh. So what advice do I have other than lots and lots of prayer and finger crossing so that they get into everything they're looking to get into? Well, here are some suggestions. Students should always meet with their academic advisor to craft alternative plans before their registration appointment so they are ready to move into their plan B option right away. If you haven't heard, life is all about how you handle plan B. The second thing, students should never miss their registration appointments. You don't want to know how many screw up and miss their appointment which means pretty much all of the classes they need to take will be full by the time they remember and realize that they missed that appointment. Third thing, it is super helpful to take classes in the summer if a student is able to, because those additional credits move them further ahead in the timing of their registration as compared to other students. Fourth, students should review the required courses and be sure they are taking prerequisite courses before they're trying to enroll in the next course in a sequence. I've seen students have to stay in college for an additional semester because they failed to plan properly. Those moments aren't fun for any of us. This is where meeting with an academic advisor helps, but ultimately the responsibility belongs to the student. If a student finds themselves in the position of asking a professor for an override for a seat in a class that is already full, they should be mindful of what the request really is, a request for the professor to work overtime for no additional remuneration. They won't get additional time off. They won't get a bump in their pay. Nothing. This isn't to say that a student shouldn't make a request for an override. 
Rather, they should be very respectful when they do make that request for a seat in a class. I hope you have found this chat about the frustrations of class registration helpful and useful so you can understand the process just a bit better. May I ask a favor? If you found this meaningful, please subscribe to the Linda's Life Lessons podcast and tell your friends about it. Forward it. Let them know that I'm here. Thank you so much. I'll see you next time. When I'm teaching, I end the week of classes with this message that I will now leave with you, my friend. Have a lovely, fantastic, and fun weekend, and please come back to me safely. See you next time.